0: Section 7 of Manners, Customs, and Dress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Donna Stewart. Manners, Customs, and Dress During the Middle Ages and During the Renaissance Period by Paul Lacroix. Section 7 Many centuries elapsed before the dawn of liberty could penetrate the social strata of this multitude, thus oppressed and denuded of all power of action. The development was slow, painful, and dearly bought, but at last it took place. First of all, towns sprang up, and with them, or rather by their influence, the inhabitants became possessed of social life. The agricultural population took its social position many generations later as we have already seen the great movement for the creation of communes and bourgeoisies only dates from the unsettled period ranging from the eleventh to the thirteenth centuries and simultaneously we see the bourgeois appear already rich and luxurious parading on all occasions their personal opulence their private life could only be an imitation of that in the chateaux by degrees as wealth strengthened and improved their condition and rendered them independent we find them trying to procure luxuries equal or analogous to those enjoyed by the upper classes and which appear to them the height of material happiness in all times the small have imitated the great it was in vain that the great obstinately threatened by the exercise of their prerogatives to try and crush this tendency to equality which alarmed them by issuing pecuniary edicts summary laws coercive regulations and penal ordinances by the force of circumstances the arbitrary restrictions which the nobility laid upon the lower classes gradually disappeared and the power of wealth displayed itself in spite of all their efforts to suppress it in fact occasions were not wanting in which the bourgeois class was able to refute the charge of unworthiness with which the nobles sought to stamp it when taking a place in the council of the king or employed in the administration of the provinces many of its members distinguished themselves by firmness and wisdom when called upon to assist in the national defence they gave their blood and their gold with noble self-denial and lastly they did not fail to prove themselves possessed of those high and delicate sentiments of which the nobility alone claimed the hereditary possession the bourgeois says arnaud de one of the most famous troubadours of the thirteenth century, have diverse sorts of merits. Some distinguish themselves by deeds of honour, others are by nature noble and behave accordingly. There are others thoroughly brave, courteous, frank, and jovial, who, although poor, find means to please by graceful speech, frequenting courts, and making themselves agreeable there these well versed in courtesy and politeness appear in noble attire and figure conspicuously at the tournaments and military games proving themselves good judges and good company down to the thirteenth century however rich their fathers or husbands might be the women of the bourgeoisie were not permitted without incurring a fine to use the ornaments and stuffs exclusively reserved for the nobility during the reigns of philip augustus and louis the ninth although these arbitrary laws were not positively abolished a heavy blow was inflicted on them by the marks of confidence esteem and honour which these monarchs found pleasure in bestowing on the bourgeoisie we find the first of these kings when on the point of starting for a crusade choosing six from amongst the principal members of the parlois aux bourgeois, it was thus that the first hotel de ville situated in the corner of the place de la greve was named to be attached to the council of regency to whom he especially confided his will and the royal treasure his grandson made a point of following his grandsire's example and louis the ninth showed the same appreciation for the new element which the parisian bourgeoisie was about to establish in political life by making the bourgeois etienne Boileau one of his principal ministers of police and the bourgeois jean serrazin his chamberlain under these circumstances the whole bourgeoisie gloried in the marks of distinction conferred upon their representatives and during the following reign the ladies of this class proud of their immense fortunes but above all proud of the municipal powers held by their families bedecked themselves regardless of expense with costly furs and rich stuffs notwithstanding that they were forbidden by law to do so then came an outcry on the part of the nobles and we read as follows in an edict of philip lebel who inclined less to the bourgeoisie than to the nobles, and who did not spare the former in matters of taxation. No bourgeois shall have a chariot nor wear gold, precious stones, or crowns of gold or silver. Bourgeois, not being either prelates or dignitaries of state, shall not have tapers of wax." a bourgeois possessing two thousand pounds tournois or more may order for himself a dress of twelve sous six deniers and one for his wife worth sixteen sous at the most the sou, which was but nominal money may be reckoned as representing twenty francs and the denier one franc but allowance must be made for the enormous difference in the value of silver which would make twenty francs in the thirteenth century represent upwards of two hundred francs of our present currency but these regulations as to the mode of living were so little or so carelessly observed that all the successors of philip Bel thought it necessary to reenact them and indeed, Charles the seventh, one century later, was obliged to censure the excess of luxury in dress by an edict which was, however, no better enforced than the rest. It has been shown to the said lord, the king, Charles the seventh, that of all nations of the habitable globe there are none so changeable, outrageous, and excessive in their manner of dress as the French nation and there is no possibility of discovering by their dress the state or calling of persons be they princes nobles bourgeois or working men, because all are allowed to dress as they think proper whether in gold or silver silk or wool without any regard to their calling at the end of the thirteenth century a rich merchant of valenciennes went to the court of the king of france wearing a cloak of furs covered with gold and pearls seeing that no one offered him a cushion he proudly sat on his cloak on leaving he did not attempt to take up the cloak and on a servant calling his attention to the fact he remarked it is not the custom in my country for people to carry away their cushions with them respecting a journey made by philip le Bel and his wife jeanne de navarre to the towns of bruges and ghent the historian jean meyer relates that Jeanne, on seeing the costly array of the bourgeois of those two rich cities exclaimed i thought i was the only queen here but i see more than six hundred in spite of the laws the parisian bourgeoisie soon rivalled the flemish in the brilliancy of their dress thus in the second half of the fourteenth century the famous christine de pisan relates that having gone to visit the wife of a merchant during her confinement IT WAS NOT WITHOUT SOME AMAZEMENT THAT SHE SAW THE SUMPTUOUS FURNITURE OF THE APARTMENT IN WHICH THIS WOMAN LAY IN BED. THE WALLS WERE HUNG WITH PRECIOUS TAPESTRY OF CYPRESS, ON WHICH THE INITIALS AND MOTTO OF THE LADY WERE EMBROIDERED. THE SHEETS WERE of FINE LINEN OF reams AND IT COST MORE THAN THREE HUNDRED POUNDS. THE QUILT WAS A NEW INVENTION OF SILK AND SILVER TISSUE. THE CARPET WAS LIKE GOLD the lady wore an elegant dress of crimson silk and rested her head and arms on pillows ornamented with buttons of oriental pearls it should be remarked that this lady was not the wife of a large merchant such as those of venice and genoa but of a simple retail dealer who was not above selling articles for four sous such being the case we need not be surprised that christine should have considered the anecdote worthy of being immortalized in a book it must not however be assumed that the sole aim of the bourgeoisie was that of making a haughty and pompous display this is refuted by the testimony of the menangier de paris a curious anonymous work the author of which must have been an educated and enlightened bourgeois the menangier which was first published by the Baron Jerome Pichon, is a collection of counsels addressed by a husband to his young wife as to her conduct in society, in the world, and in the management of her household. The first part is devoted to developing the mind of the young housewife, and the second relates to the arrangements necessary for the welfare of her house it must be remembered that the comparatively trifling duties relating to the comforts of private life which devolved on the wife were not so numerous in those days as they are now but on the other hand they required an amount of practical knowledge on the part of the housewife which she can nowadays dispense with under this head the menangier is full of information After having spoken of the prayers which a Christian woman should say morning and evening, the author discusses the great question of dress, which has ever been of supreme importance in the eyes of the female sex. "'No, dear sister,' the friendly name he gives his young wife, "'that in the choice of your apparel you must always consider the rank of your parents and mine, and also the state of my fortune.' be respectably dressed without devoting too much study to it without too much plunging into new fashions before leaving your room see that the collar of your gown be well adjusted and is not put on crooked then he dilates on the characters of women which are too often wilful and unmanageable on this point for he is not less profuse in examples than the chevalier de la Tour Landry he relates an amusing anecdote worthy of being repeated and remembered i have heard the bailiff of tournay relate that he found himself several times at table with men long married and that he had wagered with them the price of a dinner under the following conditions the company was to visit the abode of each of the husbands successively and any one who had a wife obedient enough immediately without contradicting or making any remark to consent to count up to four should win the bet. But, on the other hand, those whose wives showed temper, laughed, or refused to obey, would lose. Under these conditions the company gaily adjourned to the abode of Robin, whose wife, called Marie, had a high opinion of herself. The husband said before all, Marie, repeat after me what I shall say. Willingly, sire marie say one two three but by this time marie was out of patience and said and seven and twelve and fourteen why are you making a fool of me so that husband lost his wager the company next went to the house of maitre jean whose wife agnes ska well knew how to play the lady jean said repeat after me one and two answered Agnes Scott disdainfully, so he lost his wager. Tassin then tried, and said to Dame Tassin, "'Count one.' "'Go upstairs,' she answered, "'if you want to teach counting. I'm not a child.' Another said, "'Go away with you. You must have lost your senses,' or similar words, which made the husbands lose their wagers. Those, on the contrary, who had well-behaved wives gained their wager and went away joyful.' This amusing quotation suffices to show that the author of the Ménangier de Paris wished to adopt a jocose style with a view to enliven the seriousness of the subject he was advocating. The part of his work in which he discusses the administration of the house is not less worthy of attention. One of the most curious chapters of the work is that in which he points out the manner in which the young bourgeoise is to behave towards persons in her service rich people in those days in whatever station of life were obliged to keep a numerous retinue of servants it is curious to find that so far back as the period to which we allude there was in paris a kind of servants registry office where situations were found for servant-maids from the country The bourgeois gave up the entire management of the servants to his wife, but, on account of her extreme youth, the author of the work in question recommends his wife only to engage servants who shall have been chosen by Dame Agnes, the nun whom he had placed with her as a kind of governess or companion. "'Before engaging them,' he says, "'know whence they come, in what houses they have been, if they have acquaintances in town, and if they are steady.' Discover what they are capable of doing, and ascertain that they are not greedy nor inclined to drink. If they come from another country, try to find out why they left it, for, generally, it is not without some serious reason that a woman decides upon a change of abode. When you have engaged a maid, do not permit her to take the slightest liberty with you, nor allow her to speak disrespectfully to you. If, on the contrary, she be quiet in her demeanour, honest, modest, and shows herself amenable to reproof, treat her as if she were your daughter. Superintend the work to be done, and choose among your servants those qualified for each special department. If you order a thing to be done immediately, do not be satisfied with the following answers. It shall be done presently, or to-morrow early. Otherwise, be sure you will have to repeat your orders to these severe instructions upon the management of servants the bourgeois adds a few words respecting their morality he recommends that they not be permitted to use coarse or indecent language or to insult one another although he is of the opinion that necessary time should be given to servants at their meals he does not approve of their remaining drinking and taking too long at table concerning which practice he quotes a proverb in use at the time lais prêche à table et chaval en il est temps' et y est, which means that when a servant talks at table and a horse feeds near a watering-place, it is time he should be removed. He has been there long enough. The manner in which the author concludes his instruction proves his kindness of heart as well as his benevolence. If one of your servants falls sick. It is your duty, setting everything else aside, to see to his being cured. It was thus that a bourgeois of the fifteenth century expressed himself, and as it is clear that he could only have been inspired to dictate his theoretical teachings by the practical experience which he must have gained for the most part among the middle class to which he belonged, we must conclude that in those days the bourgeoisie possessed considerable knowledge of moral dignity and social propriety it must be added that by the side of the merchant and working bourgeoisie who above all owed their greatness to the high functions of the municipality the parliamentary bourgeoisie had raised itself to power and that from the fourteenth century it played a considerable part in the state holding at several royal courts at different periods and at last almost hereditarily the highest magisterial positions the very character of these great offices of president or of parliamentary council barristers etc proves that the holders must have had no small amount of intellectual culture in this way a refined taste was created among this class which the protection of kings princes and lords had alone hitherto encouraged we find for example the Groslier at lyons the de and seguiers in paris regardless of their bourgeois origin becoming judicious and zealous patrons of poets scholars and artists a description of paris published in the middle of the fifteenth century describes amongst the most splendid residences of the capital the hotels of juvenel des hors of bureau de damartin of guillaume Serin, of mademoiselle Bayet, of martin double and particularly that of jacques duchier Situated in the Rue des Pouvères, in which were collected at great cost collections of all kinds of arms, musical instruments, rare birds, tapestry, and works of art. In each church in Paris, and there were upwards of a hundred, the principal chapels were founded by celebrated families of the ancient bourgeoisie, who had left money for one or more masses to be said daily for the repose of the souls of their deceased members in the burial grounds and principally in that of the innocents the monuments of these families of parisian bourgeoisie were of the most expensive character and were inscribed with epitaphs in which the living vainly tried to immortalise the deeds of the deceased every one has heard of the celebrated tomb of nicholas flamel and pernell his wife the cross of bureau the epitaph of yolande Who died in fifteen fourteen at the age of eighty-eight and who saw or might have seen two hundred and ninety-five children descended from her in fact the religious institutions of paris afford much curious and interesting information relative to the history of the bourgeoisie for instance jean allais who levied a tax of one denier on each basket of fish brought to market and thereby amassed an enormous fortune left the whole of it at his death for the purpose of erecting a chapel called saint agnes which soon after became the church of saint eustace he further directed that by way of expiation his body should be thrown into the sewer which drained the offal from the market and covered with a large stone this sewer up to the end of the last century was still called pont allais very often when citizens made gifts during their lifetime to churches or parishes the donors reserved to themselves certain privileges which were calculated to cause the motives which had actuated them to be open to criticism thus in 1304 the daughters of nicholas arode formerly provost of the merchants presented to the church of saint jacques la boucherie the house and grounds which they inhabited but one of them reserved the right of having a key of the church that she might go in whenever she pleased guillaume hochel in fourteen o five bought a similar right for the sum of eighteen sols parisi per annum equal to twenty-five francs and alen and his wife whose house was close to two chapels of the church undertook not to build so as in any way to shut out the light from one of the chapels on condition that they might open a small window into the chapel and so be enabled to hear the service without leaving their room we thus see that the bourgeoisie especially of paris gradually took a more prominent position in history and became so grasping after power that it ventured at a period which does not concern us here to aspire to every sort of distinction and to secure an important social standing what had been the exception during the sixteenth century became the rule two centuries later End of section seven. Recording by Donna Stewart, Seattle, Washington.